Well, hey, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to Church Online. We're so honored you're here with us. If you're our guest, welcome. Thank you for tuning in. We're in week three of a series we've titled The Good Book, talking about the Bible all month long. Week one, we kicked off the series talking about the validity of the Bible. Do you know the Bible is the, is the best-selling book of all time? There's Never been a book sell more than the Bible around the world. It's also one of the most controversial books. And week one, we declared that, that the Bible's valid. It's been proven over thousands of years, not just by itself, historically, archaeologically. It's all been proven. It's, it's, it's stood the test of time. And it's not been because it hasn't been tried. The Bible has been tested and tried and and there's no other book like it that is as accurate to the original text, to the original text thousands of years ago. It's almost identical to the exact text that we read together today. As a matter of fact, historians and theologians would tell you really the only difference between the original text that we have, by the way, uh, the original text and the text that we have today are really just punctuation marks that bear no difference in the meaning of what's being communicated. That's miraculous because there's really not another book all throughout history that we have that much documentation on. It's the Bible. We believe it to be the Word of God. Week one, we talked about believing it, that you can believe it. And then last week, we talked about studying the Bible. Why do I need to study? Well, one, we believe it's the Word of God given to us. Last week, we said we realized that the Bible can be fun. It's exciting. It brings joy. Do you know the Bible says it in Proverbs? It says that laughter is good like medicine. That God chose to bring joy to the world through his word. And many people, many people are living their life kind of miserable outside of joy. They're looking for happiness only to realize it's a moving target. It's never really able, they're really never able to find it. They think they get it and right when it's in their grasp, it's not there, and they go looking for it in all the different places, and we know it's found in the Word of God. The truth of the gospel of Jesus is really the only place we'll ever find true joy. The Bible brings that kind of joy into our lives if we'll allow it to do so. It's fun. We know that it's alive. There's no other book on earth. There's no other text on earth that is as relevant to our everyday life than the Bible. As a follower of Jesus, it's what I live my life by. It's, it's relevant. There's few times that I have read the Bible. I read it every day. I've, I've read through the Bible uh, all the way through for going on 14 years now. Every year we do a one-year Bible plan. And, and there's never been a time that, that something I haven't read that week or even that day that, that it hasn't spoken to a circumstance in my life. The Lord uses the Bible to guide me and direct me and speak into my life. It's relevant. It's alive and breathing. And we know that because it's alive and breathing and it is relevant, it's our final authority. We said it last week. It's our final authority. We're going to live by it, and, and, and we're going to make our decisions based on it. So that's the hope that we know that we can study the Bible. So we, just, we encouraged everyone last week just to make it simple, just to, to read some Scripture Write down some observations, apply it to your life, and then pray over it. That's super simple. And if you can begin to make that a routine, a disciplined routine in your life, you'll see God do more in you than you ever dreamed possible. All through the Word of God, the Bible. And then today we're going to be talking about some things that Jesus said in the Bible. 
if it's a final authority in my life and I can accept it for how to live my life, what do I do with some of the things that Jesus said in, in Scripture, in the Gospel? Today we're going to talk about some of those difficult things. He said a lot of things. He said some things that were clear and easy to understand. He also said some things that had more than one meaning. We call those parables. He spoke in stories. He would tell stories. And a lot of times, depending on the circumstance, they have more than one meaning. And they're a little more difficult to understand, but they're really they're manageable if I, if I dive into the Word of God and under, try to understand what he's talking about. But then he said some things that are really difficult to, to grasp, especially culturally today. He said some things that are hard to wrestle with. But we know, they, we know it to be the truth of the Word of God. So how do, what do I need to do with it if I'm going to accept it? How do I begin to walk that out in my faith journey? Here's one thing I know as we dive into a few of these statements that Jesus made. He made a lot of them, so I chose a handful of them that out of, out of the, the Sermon on the Mount. And I chose a handful of his statements that are difficult to, to, to grasp in our, in our culture today and time, but, are, but can change our life if we'll hold on to it. Here's what I've learned, that Jesus would never ask us to do something that was impossible to do, and he would never ask us to do something that would not be for our good and for his glory. So as we wrestle with these texts today, as we wrestle with what Jesus said, let's remind ourselves it's for my good and for his glory, and it's absolutely possible because he's asking me to do it. So let's pray together, and we'll dive into what Jesus says. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word today, that it is alive and breathing. It is for us. It is to inspire us, to, to correct us, to train us for every good work you've called us to do. So God, as we dive into your word today, I pray that you would do that. You would perform spiritual surgery on our hearts and do what only you can do in our lives so that we can live a life on purpose that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's read our theme text. We've been reading it all month together. It's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. Why? so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Well, if all Scripture is God-breathed, if, if all Scripture is inspired by God, that absolutely means the things that Jesus said, that even though we find it hard to grasp, it's for us to train us to do every good work. So if you're taking notes, grab those uh, right there online. If you're tuning in, you can click on the link right there in front of you and pull those notes up and follow along with us. Number one, hard things Jesus said. Number one is anger is dangerous. Anger is dangerous. Here's what he said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. He says, you've heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. You must not commit murder. If you commit murder... You're subject to judgment. And then this is where Jesus gets difficult. He says, but I say, even if you are angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. If you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. So this is what he says, verse 23. If you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has, a, has something against you, Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled with that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. 
Jesus is reminding us, he always doubles down. And he says, this is what the law said, don't commit murder. He said, but I say, even if you allow anger to settle into your heart, it's dangerous. You're in danger, ultimately, of hell fire, he said. Jesus understood that sustained anger is eventually unmanageable by humanity. So he always, all throughout scripture, we are encouraged to manage our anger. Yeah, absolutely. It says in the New Testament that you can be angry and sin not. But I would submit that it, probably, that it teaches us that you can't do that for very long. You can absolutely do it sustain, for a short season, but you can't do it for long. Anger is dangerous. Most of us would never move to the point of murder. Most of us, most of us, hopefully you, and we would never move to that point. However, many of us harbor bitterness in our hearts because of unaddressed anger towards someone in our lives. You know, Ephesians 4.26 says for us to not let the sun go down on our anger. Why? Because it's, it's left unaddressed, it leads to sin. Left unaddressed, anger always leads to bitterness. It always leads to cynicism. Anger is dangerous. Even to the point where Jesus said, listen to this and what he said. If you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar and you remember that someone is angry with you. How many of us know that someone in our life that's been angry with us over something at some point? Many of us have people that were angry with us at no fault of our own for some uncommunicated expectation or something like that. And many of us, we're taught in our culture, well, that's their problem. But Jesus said this, if you know someone is angry with you, to you, stop your worship. Leave your sacrifice at the altar and go make amends and then come back and worship the Father. It's so important that we, that we address anger in ourselves and in our sphere of influence that he said, don't even come to worship if you know someone's angry with you. That's a difficult statement. It, it's their problem. They're angry with me. They should come to me. No. He says, even if you know it, go address it and then come and bring worship. Anger affects our worship. If I'm angry and I'm, and I'm mad about something and I'm allowing it to settle in and I'm not going to address it with the person I'm angry with, it affects my connection to the Father. We're told that to, to, to lay it all down, go address it, then come worship. Why? Because anger leads to bitterness. Bitterness leads to cynical people. And cynical people can't fully trust God because they equate their lack of trust in people to their lack of trust in God. It disrupts our entire faith. It, it disrupts everything to do with our faith in Jesus. So Jesus says anger is dangerous. No, it's not sin in that of itself, but no human can keep angry for long before sin creeps in. Anger is dangerous. What else does Jesus say? Jesus says this one. He says, go the extra mile. Go the extra mile. I love this passage of scripture, and this one's incredibly difficult. And when you read it in context, and he goes on to say in chapter 5, verse 38, he says, You have heard that the law says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say, don't resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. 
If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, go two miles. What's he saying? Go that extra mile. Give those, give to those who ask, and don't turn away from those who borrow. What's Jesus saying? To go the extra mile, to turn the other cheek, to give when someone asks. What's he saying? These are incredibly difficult things to understand, even in our culture today. Why, Jesus, would you ask us to do that? You see, it could, the idea has to be one of the most difficult principles he's ever asked us to live by. To turn the other cheek was literally a response to, in Jewish culture, a severe offense. You see, in Jewish culture, if you were to slap someone open-handedly, that's an offense. But to come back and slap them backhanded with the back of your hand is the ultimate offense. And Jesus is saying, if they've offended you, turn the other cheek as what's he saying? As if to open up and allow them to bring that kind of offense back into your life. Openly let it happen, Jesus is saying. For in, in, in that day and time, Roman soldiers could actually walk up to any Jewish citizen because it was a, a, a state of Rome. They could walk up to any Jewish citizen at any point in the day, no matter what they were doing or where they were at, and he could demand that they carry his stuff, his pack, his, his, his gear for up to one mile. Think about the disruption in your day. Think about the frustration that had to have brought on every Jewish person because there were thousands of Roman soldiers all over the place and all over the city. And day in and day out at random times for a Roman soldier to come and disrupt their day and cause them and to carry their packs for over a mile. And it was legally allowed that once the mile was done that they could drop it and go back to their business. Just think about the frustration in every Jewish person when that would happen. Think about those things in your own life. Who are the people in your life that are constant frustration? Who are the people in your life that are constantly disrespecting you, constantly taking advantage of you, constantly doing something that's absolutely a, a disruption in your day, in your life, in your family, in your job? Jesus is saying to love those people unconditionally, to turn the other cheek, to go the extra mile. When it had to have led to anger and bitterness and most likely a hatred for the Roman soldier by the Jewish people. But Jesus said, go the extra mile. Why? Here's what I think he was saying. That interruptions are often divine appointments. It could be that it's in those moments, if you take that interruption, that person that's always consistently frustrating, consistently taking advantage, if we can show them and look at them through the lens that Jesus sees them. That's what Jesus is really saying. See those people through the lens that God sees them, that no matter what, remember Romans tells us that there's nothing that could separate us from the love of God. To see people through the lens of the Father, that no matter what they could do, I'm going to show unconditional love, unconditional kindness. And then Jesus comes along and he says it with joy. Go the extra mile. Turn the other cheek. Give even if they don't deserve it. Even if they, you don't think they're going to use it for the right reasons. See, we're not, that's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to walk in obedience to the truth of God's word. Jesus reminds us to look at every circumstance through the lens of eternity. 
So here's some ways. How do I go the extra mile? What does that look like today? Well, what if you gave to the poor? No questions asked every opportunity you had. If you're driving downtown and there's someone on the corner and they're, and they're holding a sign and, and instead of wrestling with are they going to do it for the right reasons, are they in it for the right reasons, you give. Go the extra mile. Give when they're asking. Help those who you feel don't deserve it. That one's hard, isn't it? How many times have you, have you heard this playing in your head, thinking it's a biblical principle? Well, God only helps those who helps themselves. Actually, that couldn't be farther from the truth. God actually helped those who could never help themselves. You see, we can never work our way back to him, and he, in spite of that, sent his son Jesus and redeemed us back to him. So maybe going the extra mile this week for you is going to be helping someone who you don't think deserves it. Doing something kind for someone who you feel intentionally hurt you, intentionally disrespected you. Doing something kind for them. That's going the extra mile. That's living out the gospel. Matthew Barnett said, he's a pastor in California, he said, if we're ever going to be a bridge to heaven, sometimes we have to be okay with being walked on. And I'm not saying that, that we need to be abused and we need to be okay with just allowing that to happen in our lives. I'm saying that there are more than enough instances in our everyday life that we can choose to go the extra mile in the face of frustration and in doing so, live out the gospel in a radical way. What does it look like for me to go the extra mile. This doesn't justify sin or, or it doesn't say stay in abuse. He, he's teaching us how to in, overcome intentional wrongdoings. Never allow the actions of others to dictate your joy. Never allow the action of others to shift your sanctification process either. What is that word? It's a big word. It means the, 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 the idea of me becoming more like Jesus. I'm not going to allow something someone did to me to stop what Jesus wants to do inside of me. I'm going to become more like Christ. So I'm going to kill them with kindness. That's another way to say it. Go the extra mile. Love people unconditionally. Number three, if you're taking notes, he said this one, you must forgive. Let that sink in for a moment. You must forgive. You have to forgive. This is how he said it in John chapter 6, verse 14. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's a very difficult statement. It's an incredibly strong statement. If you don't forgive, the Father will not forgive you. Now, that's not a difficult statement if we're talking about someone asking forgiveness for having a bad attitude or saying a cross word or maybe something small in our lives. But I can tell you that's an almost undoable thing for the person who was abused as a child. What about forgiving a spouse who willfully or is willfully committing adultery? What about the murderer on death row with no remorse or the people... In, in your life who seem to have no moral compass. I mean, I have to forgive those people? That's what Jesus says. Unconditionally. No matter what, you forgive those who have sinned against you, and the Heavenly Father will forgive your sins as well. Remember, Jesus would never ask us to do something that was impossible to do. 
the only way that you can begin to walk out that kind of radical love to people around you in every circumstance is you have to separate forgiveness and your emotions. You need to understand that forgiveness is actually a financial term. It's simply the forgiveness is the cancellation of a debt. That's all forgiveness is. I'm canceling your debt. In other words, I'm turning you over. Another way to put it would be you're turning them over to God. You're turning them over to collections. You're letting God take control of the consequences, the debt that they owe. They no longer owe you a debt. Jesus knew that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. How many times have you walked in unforgiveness and known over time, over and over and over again, and it's really done no good? It's only brought bitterness and anger and cynicism into your life. All the while, the, the offender has moved on with their life. And really the person that's hurting from all of, the, uh, all of the hurt, all of the unforgiveness is you. Jesus is saying you have to forgive. Why is he saying, why is he demanding you to forgive? Because forgiveness is really more for you and for me than it is for the offender. Jesus knew that forgiveness on our part doesn't cancel the consequences of the offender that they have to walk through. It just releases us from the situation. You see, here's some things that forgiveness is not. And that I think a lot of times we fall into the lie that this is what forgiveness is. You need to know forgiveness is not a feeling. We don't make decisions to forgive based on how we feel. If I waited how, uh, to the moment that I felt like forgiving most people in my life that have harmed me or that have wounded me, that have done something against me, if I waited on the feeling the day that I just happened to wake up and feel like forgiving them, it would have never happened. And that same thing is true in your life. Right now you're thinking of circumstances and instances in your life that you've, walked, you, you've yet to forgive. They've wounded you, they've harmed you, they've hurt you, and the feeling is there. And you've said it to yourself, I don't feel like I could ever forgive that person. But see, forgiveness is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. The next thing you need to know is it's not renewing trust. Just because you forgive someone, it's not saying that you automatically, they have earned your trust back in the relationship. You see, forgiveness is offered unconditionally regardless of the offender's response. It doesn't even matter if they ask for an apology. As a follower of Jesus, I walk in forgiveness because I know that it releases me from harboring bitterness. It releases me. So I, I release forgiveness. Trust, however, is entirely different. It is solely based on Ted tangible evidence of change. You see, you don't have to trust someone until they've proven themselves out to you. But forgiving someone is not trusting someone. It's simply canceling the debt that they owe you. It's not reconciliation. I would say that Jesus and the Gospels and all of the Bible is the greatest proponent, the greatest ambassador for reconciliation. For God so loved the world, he reconciled us back to him. But can I tell you this? As far as reconciliation goes, not every human is going to be reconciled back to the Father. And not every relationship that was broken as due uh, because of a lack of trust or because of a wound or a hurt in your life is going to be reconciled either. I would say reconcile if all possible and by any means possible. But if reconciliation, if, if it's not a healthy environment, if you're walking into a toxic environment and toxic relationship, forgiveness does not mean that you have to reconcile. It doesn't mean instant healing. 
It doesn't mean that just the moment you forgive someone that instantly you're going to find healing from all of the wounds that were caused. No, no, no. You'll have to wake up every day sometimes and do it all over again and speak forgiveness over that person and pray the favor of God over those people and pray forgiveness for them. Many will still need counseling and therapy to overcome years of hurt and anger and bitterness and abuse. But that doesn't mean you can't forgive. It means you start the process of healing. Forgiveness isn't forgetting. It's not letting things go. We're human. Forgetting really is impossible at times, especially depending on how deep the wound was. Forgetting isn't always possible. But honestly, it allows me to lean more onto the Father in these circumstances in our lives. It's also not condoning or excusing the offense. Many think forgiveness is somehow excusing the other person's offense. It's not. Actually, you're entrusting the outcome to God. When I forgive you, I'm turning everything over to the Father. And whatever the consequences are and whatever it is that you have to walk through, that's between you and the Father. But I am, I am no longer bound to those circumstances. Forgiveness sets us free from the bondage of offense. So here's a question. Who do you need to forgive right now in your life? Who do you need to turn over to the Lord for Him to handle? How many offenses have you carried for years, for months, for decades that have caused you to, to that have caused bitterness to root into your heart? And you need to let it go, or it's ultimately going to destroy your soul. Jesus said you must forgive. Number four, he said this one, this one's heavy. The road to heaven is narrow. The road to heaven is narrow. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and the gate is wide for many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few will ever find it. It's a sobering reality that most people in this world will live their lives like a vapor and never see heaven. Because they've bought into a lie that as long as I'm a good person, I'm going to go to heaven. They've bought into the lie as long as I do some good things, I'm going to go to heaven. Listen, I've been to lots of funerals over the years. I've preached hundreds of them over the last 20 years. And I can tell you I've never attended or preached a funeral. Believers or non-believers alike, I've never witnessed anyone declared to be in hell. Never, not one time. I've preached funerals of unbelievers. I've preached funerals of people that have lived hard, difficult, rebellious lives. And every single person whose ever funeral I've ever been to have always been, I can't wait to see him one day in heaven. Why? Because it's the hope that if eternity is real, surely I'll go to heaven. But listen, you need to understand, good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. Relationship with Jesus is what gets us to heaven. The road to heaven is narrow. I can tell you that if, if you're living a life that looks like all of the culture around us, the chances are we're on a highway and we should be looking for a gateway. You see, the gateway to heaven is narrow. It's a narrow road. We should look different than the rest of the world around us. It shouldn't be a broad highway 
grabbing hold of everything that culture grabs hold of. Come on, if you're a follower of Jesus today, are you on the highway with culture? Or are you looking for a gateway? And that leads us to the final thing that I'll tell you today that Jesus said is your actions matter. They matter more than you would ever dream or think. Listen to what it says in Matthew chapter 7. You can identify them by their fruit. That is by the way that they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. You see, a good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can identify people by their actions. How do I know if I'm following Jesus? How do I know if eternity is my home? Jesus said it'll be determined by what you do. Church, I'm begging you to hear this truth and respond to it. The life you live and decisions you make will echo in eternity. When eternity comes, you're not going to be judged by a prayer that you prayed when you were 6 or 7 or 15 or 20. You're going to be judged by the life that you lived. It's the gospel of Jesus. He promised it in his word. Proverbs says it. I mean, Matthew chapter 3, verse 8 says it. John the Baptist said it. He said, prove by the way that you live that you've repented of your sins and turned to God. Come on, the life that you're living, does my life reflect now a relationship with Jesus? Here's the truth that I know. Jesus will meet you where you are, wherever you are in your life. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. There's no decision you could have ever made. There's no thing you could have ever done that would stop the grace of God from flooding your life here and now. But he does not leave us where he found us. And you can't claim Jesus, salvation in Jesus, and do anything you want and live a life contrary to the truth of God's word and the sayings of Jesus and think that you actually have an authentic relationship with him. We've said it again. We said it earlier in this series. Jesus said, you're my true disciples if you obey my teachings. So here's the difficult question, an easy question with a difficult, heavy answer for many people. Am I obeying the teachings of Jesus? Have I accepted the word of God? Am I walking in forgiveness? Am I looking for the gate? Come on, am I allowing the grace of God and the love of God to work through me so that I can love people unconditionally? Do my actions now here today reflect a relationship with Jesus. If they don't, I want to lead you into that with him. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that we could be reconciled back to him. And that could start with a decision you're making right here today. You would simply say, Father, forgive me of my sins. I'm sorry for doing it on my own, in my own desires, following my own emotions. But today, Jesus, I lay all of that down at the foot of the cross and I pick up salvation. I accept you as my Savior. And from this point forward, I'm going to follow you as my Lord. You have complete control over my life. Thank you for life change. Thank you for salvation. I give you all of the honor and all of the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.